Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in the latest episode of the Step Back Pod here on Fansided. Make sure that you subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We are on all of them. This is where we go around the NBA every single week, once a week, to take a look at what happened the previous week. We take the step back, but then we also step forward, uh, focusing on a few teams every week. We're going to do something a little bit different here today when we get to our playback segment. It's going to be more of a play forward segment where we're going to take a look at Seven of the teams that we thought might be tanking coming into the season, uh, tanking for uh, Wemby or Scoot, and see where those tanking efforts are at this stage, if they've built around the right players, if they have the right draft picks, and if they're going to be bad enough to actually take advantage of the sort of soft tanking strategy that a lot of them employ but don't like to say publicly. We'll also get into uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers a little bit later on the show with Sam Amico. Uh, He has covered the Cavs for years. He's written books about the Cavs. Uh, he's now with Hoopswire. We'll talk to him about his new project and also about where Cleveland is currently uh, getting a home court seed in the Eastern Conference. So we'll get into the Cavs as we did a few weeks ago and update on them. Before we do, I want to introduce my co-host. He's Brady Hawk. You can follow him at Brady Hawk 305. He's also one of my co-hosts on five on the floor on the Miami Heat. The Heat coming off a pretty bad loss against the Spurs. So we'll get into that more on our local podcast. But today we're going to focus again, like I said, on some of those bottom teams, but also the Cavs. And then three teams at the start. And we'll start there with first steps. All right, number one, the New Orleans Pelicans appear to be for real. We got into them a couple of weeks ago and, and sort of how, what the hell were they were doing this without Brandon Ingram, who is expected to rejoin them on this road trip that they're going on. So Willie Green said he was going to join the team. So they'll have to integrate him, which isn't the worst thing to have to do. But huge win against the Suns. Uh, they are playing extraordinarily well right now. They're getting contributions from a lot of different people, but it's being led by Zion. But I don't think most people had about 25, 26 games into the season. The Pelicans leading the Western Conference, and they've beaten a lot of good teams lately, actually going through the list. They're not just beating up on Patsies. Brady, how sustainable is this? Well, I think it's very sustainable if they're healthy because we've seen them do it without, uh, as we were talking about last week when we were discussing them, like it's it's – Brandon Ingram out, they're still doing it. Zion out, they're still doing it. Looking at last year, heading into the playoffs. So they're finding ways. But I think it's all now revolving around Zion in a way where they're finding a base where it's just Zion is just that good as we're seeing the way he's playing right now that uh, the way he can score the ball, the way he does it, but also the way defense react to it. Because once he gets rolling downhill, the fact that you give him the ball and he's getting to his left, 
teams just can't stop it. So then everything pinches. Then all of a sudden you have two pull-up threats, which we still haven't seen uh, for long periods of time. Like, because like I said, we have not seen all three of these guys on the floor for long periods. So uh, it's an interesting dynamic. But the reason I think it's sustainable is you have three of those type of guys offensively. And then you also have a top three defense in the NBA right now. And and one of them we're probably going to get into later in this episode, which is Cleveland. Uh, the other one is the Bucks, who have similar game plans defensively. Like they do similar things. The Pelicans are not in that same type of realm of defensive players and, and systems. So the fact that they're able to have this type of defense while also having the top three guys, while also having their role players play at this level, because they have these other guys like Jose Alvarado you know, emerging. They have shooters like Trey Murphy emerging. Herb Jones is a defender emerging. So their build right now is looking very good and because it's not just one thing that's that's working right now. And I got to give David Griffin some credit as we talk about this. I think Willie Green is, is definitely a candidate for coach of the year through like a little beyond the quarter pole. But I covered David Griffin a little bit in Cleveland. And the one thing that he learned how to do there was to build around a star trio. So what he did there up there with uh, with LeBron and – and Kyrie and Kevin Love and making the trades to get that year, get Mozgov, get J.R. Smith and others who complimented them well enough. And they were able, obviously, to win the championship, not that first year, but in 2016. It seems like he's he's gotten similar kind of players with the Pelicans. You know, he got he had he had defenders like Della Vadova up there. Uh, Herb Jones is at another level, but he, the role players seem to fit the three key guys. Well, I think that I think the thing we're going to be watching is how did the three key guys fit? You, you think they'll fit well. We just haven't seen it on the floor uh, a whole lot this season. The second one here is the Nets. A lot of turmoil early in the season, but now you look up and they're they're kind of comfortably above 500. I mean, they're, they're four games above 500 now. Um, some of the role guys there have fit in pretty well. It seems like some of the drama is down there. We're not hearing about Durant asking for trades. We're not hearing a lot of kind of, kind of Kyrie mess right now. And as these other teams in the East. No, other than Boston, Milwaukee has been pretty good. Middleton's got another injury now dealing with an ankle. But the Nets look like maybe a top four seed in the Eastern Conference again, especially as the as the Heat struggle. Sixers are getting healthier. What do you think of where Brooklyn is right now? Yeah, there's a, just I was talking about the Pelicans and their role players. I think it's really underrated factor for the Nets. Like you were just hitting on it, but the 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 role players like Royce O'Neal, the, the guys that balance these guys out, the Joe Harris and Seth Currys, I like the way that they stagger those type of guys for their top guys when you kind of mix in and out these type of shooters. You look at when KD and Kyrie go out this last game, they still win because Cam Thomas, when he's the only guy on the floor, just becomes those guys and he just gets those type of volume up and he's able to kind of score at a high level. Uh, TJ Warren being back, I think, is a really big addition because he hasn't he's looked pretty good in this limited games. Uh but they're seven and one in their last eight games. And as much as I could sit here and talk about the role players, KD and Kyrie have just been that good. Like they've been uh, what you'd expect from them. KD's averaging 30 a game on the season, but in the last eight and when they're seven and one, KD's averaging 32, Kyrie's averaging 26. When you just have that type of factor, specifically with the efficiency, because we've seen a lot of these type of guys, they could score, but at what volume is it on? What's the efficiency on right now? They're scoring uh, very efficiently. And then, we still have to add in the fact I think Ben Simmons has been out for a good portion of these games as well. So how does this kind of fit the equation as well when they, they're trying to just keep rolling offensively with the, behind these guys? So you asked me before with the Pelicans, is it sustainable? Then when you ask me that question about the Nets, I will never be able to answer that because I just don't know what will ever be sustainable for the Nets. But as long as KD and Kyrie are on the floor, 
they're going to be a complete threat in the Eastern Conference. Let's go to number three here. Last year, a lot of talk about Embiid for MVP uh, controversy when uh, Jokic won it for the second time. You're looking at Joel Embiid's numbers right now for Philadelphia and a team that was missing Maxi, has been missing Maxi, was missing Harden until recently. Harris missed some time, but Embiid puts up another 50 point game over the weekend. He's now averaging almost 34 points a game. Most of his metrics are up from last season, and he's had to carry this team this year more maybe than he did last year. Why is he not getting more buzz for MVP, or does that start now? I think it most definitely starts now. The fact that, you know, they always – everybody loves initial stats, and the fact that he's averaging now the most points in the league per game, that's going to speak volume in itself. And then uh, you mentioned the metrics, and that's what's kind of intriguing to me. I was looking at some of, like, the numbers of where he's getting his shots – uh, he's 65% less than 10 feet from the basket, which is exactly the same mark as last year. Moving to the mid-range, he's shooting similar attempts as last year, which for a guy his size, we know the skill he has. But to shoot six attempts a game mid-range pull-ups is just insane, the fact that he's able to do that. Uh, he was at 42% last year on six attempts. He's at 47% on mid-range pull-ups this year. Like That is a crazy development. Uh, you still have the factor of... of He's leading the league. I think it's tied with Giannis for free throw attempts. I think they're both 11.8 right now as we're as we're recording this. Uh, so he's still getting to the line. And there's the factor of, of spot-up threes, where last year he was shooting 37% on just catch and shoot itself. He's now at 44%. So you're like, every number is basically just rising, uh, which, as you said, like, there's been more on his plate. Guys have gone out. Maxie's gone out. Harden's gone out. And he's been able to step up. But just seeing the efficiency numbers rise – as also, you know, he's having similar volume. It's hard to look away from his MVP case right now as we speak, but there's obviously there's so much left in the season. Depends on how many games he plays. Is he going to be sustainable? Like just like his teammates have not been. So uh, as long as he plays, he's going to be in that conversation. Yeah. And look, you look at Philadelphia, we talk about the playoffs and, and how there always is a collapse in the playoffs, but in the regular season, they've needed him to carry them and to, to keep them in this thing in the Eastern conference and in striking distance again for a top four seed. And he's been the guy who's done it, but we see Harden comes back with 16 assists last night. It does look like he's in better shape. I'm always sort of challenging that as the season goes on. Uh, but if they get Maxi in the fold there, they're still dangerous. And I think that th- that's the key in the Eastern conference right now is just sort of staying dangerous right now. I mean, we know Boston has gotten off to the best start, but I do think that we're going to see teams in the three, four, and five seed. Uh, any of them, I think, could advance to the to the East Finals this year. I, I don't think I don't think the Bucks are dominant in any way. We've talked about uh, you know again Middleton being in and out uh, this year, obviously out earlier in the season, um, and what Brook Lopez has provided. But I do think that that they're vulnerable, and I think Boston to a certain degree is vulnerable also. I mean, I I, I love what Tatum's done. I mean, I just I still have him number one in the MVP race. And we've we've discussed the Robert Williams fit when he comes back, uh, but I I don't I just don't sense there's one team that is that much better than all the others. Even though we saw what Boston did uh, against Phoenix the other night. Welcome to the playback, where Brady Hawk breaks down two teams from around the NBA: one East, one West, one that's doing well. We call that the high step. And one that's not doing so well, we call that the misstep. All right, now we're going to switch it up a little bit. We're going to go to some of the worst teams in the league or some of the teams that were trying to be the worst teams in the league, even if they weren't saying it publicly. 
Uh, usually we do a playback segment here. We're going to do this more of a play forward segment. We're going to look at seven teams, three in the Eastern Conference, four in the Western Conference, all of which I think before the year, if you were to say, okay, which are the seven teams that are positioning themselves most for the future? They're not trying to win a title this year. They may not even be trying to get a play in. These would be the seven teams I think that you would pick. So in the Eastern Conference, the Hornets, although they not may not have picked themselves, the Pistons and the Magic. In the Western Conference, the Spurs, the Rockets, the Thunder, and strong start this season aside, the Jazz, because this was about accumulating draft picks for Mitchell and Gobert and then kind of building with this young core and then maybe trading some of the young core as they go forward uh, to get even younger. So let's go through it. And here's the way I want to do this, okay? Because usually we typically we do – um, you know, high step or misstep for the teams that are doing something well or doing something poorly. I'm just going to kind of go through the list category by category. And you tell me high step or misstep in terms of the way that they're positioned right now. Okay. Let's start here. To me, if you're going to be doing a build for the future, you at least have to have a core piece or two that you're building around and you're planning on keeping because otherwise it's just this cycle we saw this years and years ago, way before you were born, Brady. Uh, the Los Angeles Clippers, year after year after year. The Kings are a good example of this until recently. Okay, The Clippers, year after year after year, would draft like the most talented upside young player. Okay, Lamar Odom, Darius Miles, Quentin Richardson, list of these guys. And they've all talked about it afterwards. They had like four or five really high-ceiling guys it's a little bit of a knucklehead team at first. Okay. They were, you know, some of them straight out of high school, uh, weren't really ready for the NBA. They had no vets on the team though. They had, they didn't even have a young vet, right? So these guys were just kind of left to their own devices and they never really developed. And that thing never ended up working. So every year was how much talent they had. And then they'd win 25 games. So I think you've got to have at least a core piece that you can count on. Okay. So let's go through it as a core piece. For the Hornets, LaMelo Ball, high step or misstep? Well, LaMelo Ball in itself, I'd say is a high step, but the Hornets as a whole, I would say is a misstep because that's it. Like you talk about core pieces other than LaMelo Ball and it's a, it's a drop off. Like uh, it feels like they've, other than the, they, they made the draft pick of PJ Washington, the 2019 NBA draft. They had uh, the book night pick in the 2021 draft. Like there's just certain things. And then they also, there's like four big men they drafted in recent years where it was like Kai Jones in the first round, late first round, uh, Nick Richards, second round, JT Thor, second round, Mark Williams, this past year, 15th pick in the first round. Like they, they can't really figure out like what they're trying to be. So it's like, uh, and then I know you'll probably get into this in a second, but the, the Hornets also have the contracts with like Rozier's long contract. That that's just a bunch of money. I know Ubre's expiring. Uh, Hayward, I think has, one more year after this year, and he has that $30 million. So LaMelo Ball and himself, when he's healthy, I'd say is a high step because that was the right pick at the time. But other, other than that, there's just not anything there. Like the direction that they're going, in my opinion, is unclear until, I guess, this season we hit this draft and then kind of build from there. All right, the Pistons. Uh, the big draft pick there thus far, Cade Cunningham, but they've had a bunch of high picks it looks to me like they've hit on most of them. Fair? Yeah, I would agree. I think that's more of the high step because uh, the Jaden Ivey pick I thought was very good, the fact that what we're seeing from him this year. Uh, the one pick that was unclear 
was the 2020 with the 2020 draft where they picked the seventh pick Killian Hayes, where he kind of wasn't living up to that expectation, but we've seen him as of late, pick it up and start playing pretty well. Uh, but that was an interesting draft for them. Cause I was looking back over it and I was like the 2020 draft, they got the seventh pick Hayes 16th pick uh, was a trade and they got Isaiah Stewart. Then the 19th pick, they got Sadiq Bay. So like they got a lot of their main core role players in that specific draft. And then you add in the fact that the Bogdanovich trade that they got uh, kind of shows the direction that they're trying to move in. Like they're not going full out uh, one direction. Like they, they pretty much got him for nothing. Like they got him for Kelly and Olenek and, and cash considerations. Like they, that's what they were able to do. Uh, so I think they're going in a decent direction. And if you're building around a first overall pick and Cade Cunningham and the stuff that he's able to do, I think that's a pretty good start with what they have. All right. And now the third one in the Eastern Conference, the Magic. Uh, they have been in this, they were in a cycle for a little while where they were like competitive enough to compete for the playoffs for a little while with Vucevic, uh, with Fournier, et cetera. They went back the other direction, another team that looks like they hit on their picks. Most definitely. I think this is probably the one I'm highest on just because I think we really do know their direction. The only thing is that I have question marks about is that it feels like every year they're taking another point guard. <laughs> so it's like, they, they Jalen Suggs thing, it seems like is the most likely because I like what we're seeing from him. Uh, but they found a forward core where it's Franz Wagner and it's Paolo Bonchero. Uh, and that is a great start because both of those guys have looked very, very good. I think the Franz pick was an amazing pick and, and compared to what you look at that. He was the eighth overall pick and where he lands right now. Like if there was a redraft, where would he be? Because it's probably much higher than eight. Uh, so they have a forward core. They got Mo Bamba in the 2018 draft. And it was funny. I was looking at it. They got with the sixth pick overall in 2018. They got Mo Bamba. The seventh pick in that draft right after them was Wendell Carter, who they also have. <laughs> like, they have so many guys at the top of drafts when you just keep going down the list. Uh, so they pretty much have the ultimate young core, I would say, in terms of what they're trying to build and get to. The question becomes uh, – they have a lot of point guards. They have a lot of bigs. And when we look at the draft, I know we we're comparing this to the, the Victor Webb and Yama sweepstakes and stuff. I just wonder what fits them because there's the draft is like point guards and centers kind of like it's Webb and Yama and Scoot. You move to those Thompson twins who I'm very intrigued by, but one of those guys is more of a pure point. So it's like, which direction are they going to lean in? That's going to be more of my question. But uh, ultimately, I kind of like their direction in general. All right, let's look at the Western Conference uh, real quick here. Start with the Spurs. Um, he, here's my question with them. I like Keldon Johnson. I, we saw him over the weekend. But it, it, it seems to me like he, on a good team, is a third piece. Is that is that fair? I mean, they don't. it doesn't seem to me like they have their piece yet. Yeah, that's the thing. They don't really have that core player. I think Keldon Johnson is very, very good. I like Vassell, speaking of watching him in Miami, watching what he was able to do in that mid-range. He looks as pure of a scorer as there is. Uh, so it's interesting. Of course, we're going to keep talking about Webb and Yama. Like the, the Spurs would be like the team that like the hair of Tim Duncan, the, the boring kind of aspect of the landing spot. But I look at it like I think this would be an interesting place for Scoot when we're talking about point guards, like elite point guards that could be kind of go next to Vassell and Keldon Johnson. Like, I think that makes a lot of sense that we're going to end up seeing more and more. Uh, but their direction is like, other than these two guys, like, I just don't really know what else they have. Because is Pirtle going to be on this team by the trade deadline? I highly doubt it. Probably so not. it's like, 
so like what is the direction that they're going in so if they can get it it's more about this draft if they can position themselves to get a webinyama or get a scoot which i think scoot is actually a really intriguing piece for this specific team uh but ultimately i don't know i think that they just don't have enough right now to, to be putting them like on the magics level since they have actual core pieces i want to get to the teams with all the hoarding of draft picks and the Pelicans, by the way, are one of those teams. We talked about that earlier. They're certainly not tanking. So they're, they're in great position where Griffin's put them. The thunder and the jazz we'll get into in a second. The the one more team that that has taken their picks doesn't have a ton of picks stacked up is the rockets. Uh, Your thoughts on Jalen green and do they have their number one and number two pieces yet, or is that still to come? I think best case scenario, your number one, option is to come because ultimately it's weird because Jalen Green and Porter, which Kevin Porter is another guy that they basically got for nothing. <laughs> like the, they were able to add that, which is a good aspect. They got Jabari Smith. So I think we're still trying to see who he becomes uh, after getting drafted this year, but the direction is more, I feel like I'm keep coming back to this because this is when we're talking about bad teams, we're talking about the, the draft sweepstakes, but they still need, that core piece. And it feels like that guy is mostly at the center position, like a Webinyama. Like they don't need a point guard. They are guard heavy. Like, and they have Jabari Smith. He was ultimately going to be a guy that's popping out for threes, a spot up threat. He could do things in the mid range. That true big man hub feels like something they need, or maybe like a two way wing, like one of those two things. So I'll ask you just to kick it back to you. Is that, what do you think is more important for them? Is it kind of that big man guy or, well, look, I, I think we talk about a, a tradition with the Spurs and filling in for Duncan. And by the way, I, I don't think there's a place that the, the NBA would like Wemanyama to go le- less than San Antonio. It just, it's just, especially because I don't know the Pop's even, well, maybe Pop would stick around for that, but I'm not sure. But, you know, that that's not what they want. They don't want him in that market. They would be happy with him in Houston. Um, Houston has a tradition of great fives. Like that is that's <laughs> that's been their whole thing. Although maybe none quite like this. Okay, going back all the way to Ralph Sampson and and others. But you talk about Elijah Moses Malone. Uh, you know Dwight's time there. I mean that that is what they've always built on. Uh, to me, that is the ideal place for him to end up. Honestly, um, and so we'll see if it actually happens if they get in position. But that's that's where I would put him. Uh, let's take a look at the two teams with all the draft picks here, the Thunder and the Jazz. So let's just compare them this way as we go. And then we're going to bring Sam and Miko on to talk about the Cavs. Uh, as far as the core piece, I mean, there's no team on this list that has a better core piece than SGA, right? Yeah, for sure. If he's going to be there. that that's yeah. re- That's really the issue. So, I mean, let's reframe it this way. If you're them... Do you hold on to him as the core? Because that core piece is hard to find. I, I do think you need it when you're doing a rebuild. You need somebody that can carry you, especially a young star like that. Would you keep him or would you move him for more picks, particularly if it seems like he doesn't want to be there ultimately? I mean, I think if you're the Thunder, you try to keep that guy. Like, I just, because I don't know how, who's, are you going to get another Shago just Alexander to walk through that door? Like the fact that you were able to make that trade and have the asset in Paul George and be able to flip it for all those picks and Shea and see what he's become. And then the Chet injury kind of hurts a lot of this because we're probably talking about this a little bit differently if we're seeing their two core players playing right now and it wasn't Chet being out for the year. But that I think you hold on to him just to get a look at next year when you have your three 
quote unquote core players. Like, is it Chet, Shea, and whoever you're drafting? Those are going to be your core. And I think you make a decision from there, kind of from there. So I think that's kind of the the way you go about it. But there's no doubt that <laughs> Shea is out of all the teams we're discussing. This is the core player as of right now that you would want. Uh, and I guess my question, I'll, I'll ask you again, what is, what is the player that you think makes most sense for the Thunder? Because Chet, like we talk about Webb and Yama, the fact that Webb and Yama and Chet playing together is the most oddly looking crazy thing to think about in the NBA. But I just wonder what their build is. Like, cause there's, like I was saying, there's, there's a lot of point guards, there's a lot of bigs and they kind of have both of those. So does one of them slide over or do you think it's another position? I feel like Presti is just trying to get every talented piece that needs to put on 50 pounds basically, and just get them all in the program and see who emerges. The build for him is very different from the last build, where if you looked at Durant, Westbrook and Harden, they were different. All of them were a little bit different because when Harden came in, his game was supposed to be different than it actually turned out to be. And it took James a couple of years to really emerge there. I mean, obviously he was sixth man of the year, but he was playing behind Abosephalosha you know, it, it took some time. Westbrook was more of a convert to point guard. Obviously, Durant was Durant from the moment he stepped in. This one feels different. It, it does feels like he's collecting talent with sort of limited, uh, excuse me, unlimited upside. That's where this is at. So I think some of these guys he's drafting can be will be moved ultimately. I, I think that once they start to figure out fit as they go forward, they could move them. I think if you look at the way he values assets, if they pick first overall, I think he would take the player. I think he would take Victor and then kind of figure it out from there. I don't think that he would get too cute with it, but I just think this is about collecting talent. When you look at, at the jazz situation, you know, you look at what Markinen's done there and, and now what some of the, and what Sexton's done there since he's come, we'll talk to Sam about Sexton in a second, that it, it feels like they're a little bit more of a hybrid build. Like we were talking about, like they have the draft picks, but if they get better sooner, which has happened this year, they're sort of okay with it. Okay, the Thunder have felt all along like they're not really okay with it. (laughs) And so I think that's the difference between the two builds. Uh, But let's close here. So if we're to say if we're to rank this one to seven real quick and then we'll bring Sam on Hornets, Pistons, Magic, Spurs, Rockets, Thunder, Jazz. Team best position to be really good in three years, because that's what really what this is about. I would probably say the magic just because I think the, the emergence of Paolo as a first option and what he can become is more intriguing than the other guys. Unless. Yeah, that, that, that would be what I would kind of choose. I think just their, their overall package that they have with young guys. Was that, is, would you agree? Or is there somebody else? Yeah, I, I would say the Matt. Well, I'll, I'll let me eliminate one first. It's not the Hornets. Okay. I, I, I just, I never yeah. believe in a Hornets build. No, no matter how good a Hornets build ends up, it ends up at the eight seed. Like that's, that's where, it, that's where it always maxes. Something always goes wrong. There's no vision there. There's always a missed pick or two in there that they can't recover from. So I would say to me, I would eliminate the Hornets. Eliminate the Spurs as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to do it because I, I believe in that in RC Buford and in pop, but I, like I said, I don't see the start. Ha- They're going to need to luck in the victor. Like that's where this has mm-hmm. to go because and if it does, then that changes things. But for right now, I'm eliminating them. Uh, the Thunder with all of those picks, I'm going to put the Rockets and the Jazz behind them. So I would say Magic, Thunder, Pistons. That's how I would go. Okay. I, I would probably say, I would say Magic, probably Magic, Pistons, Thunder, just because 
it, I mean, it's it's so projecting on how the lottery goes, what position they get to by the end of the year. So a lot of this is projecting, but just based on core pieces, I think that those are probably the three. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done teams and now it's time for the step around where we bring on an nba writer or media member from somewhere else in the country to fill us on everything that's going on and we mix in a little rapid fire too we'll bring on a guy who knows a little bit about lotteries uh because he was up there when uh well lebron andrew wiggins a whole bunch of these guys uh, and of course, we won't mention Anthony Bennett too many times. Uh, it's our guy Sam Amico. Um, he's been uh, worked at a bunch of places up there. Sam, what's your new gig? I am now writing for Hoopswire.com. If you've okay. if you've heard of that, Hoopswire.com, um, and I've uh, been doing that for about almost two years now. It's actually run by the people who run NFL Trade Rumors.co. Um, and they wanted to start a basketball website. I wanted to, uh, have a job. So we worked out an agreement and, uh, yeah, I've, I've been up here since the, uh, since the LeBron era, 2003 and, um, the first LeBron era and yeah, went through all those first round picks with Anthony Bennett and Kyrie Irving and Andrew Wiggins and multiple other guys taken in the lottery. So, uh, been been covering Cleveland basketball for quite some time. It feels to me like this build is a little different from some of their others. I mean, so many of them, I mean, obviously LeBron builds are always going to be different because you're just trying to fit, find pieces that fit around him. He used to be in favor of that until he went out to LA and now it seems like he wants to find the pieces that fit the worst around him and then try to make it work after that. But this build with Cleveland, it, 
it feels like it accelerated, like because they hit on a couple of the picks early. Um, what is what has Kobe Altman done and the staff there done well in terms of identifying the right guys? And then again, fast forwarding it with the Mitchell trade this year. Yeah, I think the first thing, you know, uh, when LeBron left in 2018 for, for the Lakers, that was the year they got Sexton um, in the draft. And then, you know, the next year they, they drafted Garland and everybody was kind of like, well, what are they, what are they doing now? They have another six foot one guard. Um, and then after that, you know, you started to see really to me, the big difference was the Mobley draft when they got Mobley and he got off to such a great start last season. Um, he seems to have kind of leveled off since then, but his first three months were great. You know, really rookie of the year kind of was the front runner for the rookie of the year. He and Scotty Barnes were neck and neck, but I think, and it got really weird when they first built the roster because everybody's been playing small ball. Well, the Cavs are like, you know what, we're going to roll out three, seven footers, which was really weird because they had marketing, uh, Jared Allen and Mobley. But I think with the rise of Garland last year, very quick at the beginning of the season, the addition of Ricky Rubio, which, you know, at the time, nobody thought anything of it, but really turned out to be kind of a splash off season trade, you know, by, by landing Rubio. He just was a perfect fit off the bench, especially with those Cavs young guards. Um, and then you throw in, you throw in the fact that I think Mobley turned out even better than they suspected he was going to be um, right away. That really accelerated things. You had Darius Garland, who had a breakout season, and then you had this rookie uh, with size who made an immediate contribution and really kind of changed the face of what they were planning to do. I think they were planning at the time, you know, we still got another two or three years, but that accelerated things just with the rise of Garland and Mobley. And then, you know, they proved to fit so well around Allen Sexton. He only played 11 games, but I think that, you know, at that point they thought we could really do something here. And uh, they had some injuries at the end of the season. Uh, they were able to get Karis LeVert, which at the time seemed like, a, it still seems like a very good trade. I mean, they gave up Ricky Rubio and they got him back. So, um, I just think that, you know, they they thought we can, if not contend right now in the Eastern Conference, we can be a player, we can be a pest in the playoffs, and, and we can do that right now. I'm going to let Brady get into some of the strategy stuff here with you in a second. But so where where do you think they stand now in the build? Because we're talking about the Eastern Conference. The, the Bucks and the Celtics seem to be the class of the conference. The, the Sixers and Nets – seem to be starting to figure things out. We cover the Heat, who seem to be going the other direction, although there's always confidence that they will do something that will get them back in the mix here. So Cleveland kind of feels in that four to six category right now, maybe better than a play-in team, maybe not ready to compete for the top of the conference. Do, do they see themselves that way? Or, or has the Mitchell acquisition and the way that that will fit over the course of the season maybe accelerated that process too? I think that they see themselves maybe uh, they might see themselves a little bit, you know, in the top four. Um, but the realistic, you look at that Mitchell, obviously, and that was a big surprise. Obviously that trade was, 
okay, the Cavs are going a certain way and it worked pretty well last year. And now you're, you're kind of shaking it up a little bit, bringing in a three-time all-star who plays in the backcourt. Obviously it's gone well so far when they're healthy. Um, but I think that they envision themselves as, you know what, we can finish with the third or fourth seed in the Eastern conference. That's probably their goal right now. Realistically, you look at teams that are playing well after the All-Star break, those tend to be veteran teams that have been together for a while, teams that might struggle at the start of the year, the Miami Heats of the world, you know, the Philadelphia 76ers. We all assume at some point the Brooklyn Nets are going to pull it together. It's hard to tell if they actually will, but, you know, so that right there would put the Cavs in sixth if you figure all those teams are going to leapfrog them. Um, they're probably in that range. I think I, I would agree, and I think that they're probably they could potentially finish fourth if some of these other teams don't ever pull it together. But generally speaking, young teams with a young core, second half of the season after the All Star break, that's when they tend to make their slide a little bit. They always seem to start great. And, and I heard you guys talking earlier about some of these teams that are surefire lottery teams. You know, the Thunder. The Jazz, I don't, I don't know if the Jazz are surefire, but probably. And, and, you know, these are all younger teams that tend to play their best basketball at the beginning of the season, in the first quarter of the season. So the Cavs, obviously, way further along than those teams, but similar predicament where, you know, hey, we're probably playing our best basketball right now, beating the Celtics twice you know, and, and, and some of those other big, big wins sweeping the Lakers, which is obviously not a big deal this year. But, you know, those are the type of things that you do at the start of the year, beating those veteran teams. It seems like part of the reason that they're playing such great basketball, uh, I wanted to ask you about, is just the defense of the guys of today. They're the best defense in basketball. Uh, and it was defensive rating and opposing points per game. That's just what they're doing. The interesting thing is the second best defense is Milwaukee. And it seems like they're kind of taking some things from Milwaukee and the way they defend in terms of uh, the Brooke Lopez and Giannis factor with Giannis as weak side and Brooke as a rim protector. Same thing with Mobley and Allen. Uh, just what have you seen, I guess, from them defensively? Because there was a little bit skeptical about that backcourt specifically defensively, and they're still able to be this dominant. Is it just all about the front court? Yeah, well, that, that's an excellent point. You bring up comparing them to the Bucks because, because, uh, Kobe Altman, the Cavs president of basketball operations, has kind of made it clear when the Bucks went to the finals a couple of years ago, that was the vision that the Cavs had, that same type of team, uh, and that's what they wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, you can see it, first of all, with Cleveland. In the games, Jared Allen is injured and doesn't play. They're not that great defensively, you know, because he's the anchor at the rim and really changes everything at the basket. So, um, that's yeah, that, that size and that height, that was the idea behind that when they had, uh, and still is, but when they first had Markinen and Mobley and Allen, that was the idea is we're going to have our, our guards at that point weren't great defensively. Darius Garland and Colin Sexton weren't very good defensively at all. But, uh, now we have three guys back there that, you know, that really mixed things up. That really shook things up for the opponent is, well, yeah, we get past the guards and there's three guys waiting there. And now there's still two. And it's really the two best defenders from last season in, in Allen and Mobley. I mean, putting those guys together has an old school twin towers feel to it. But 
that generates everything else they do, even with Mitchell, uh, you know, getting out on the break, uh, defending the rim, getting out on the break, uh, creating havoc for opposing uh, big men. So, yeah, I, I think there's that's a good comparison because that's when, when the Bucks got to the finals, that was kind of the Cavs kind of saw that and said, you know what, let's get bigger like the Bucks are at that point and uh, let's let's kind of uh, see if we can build similarly because it's a similar type of market. It's not a market where you're going to get, you know, free agents swarming to come to. You've got to you've got to kind of build from within and uh, they've so far it's so so good but yes the big stress obviously uh defense because as good as they are off offensively other than garland and mitchell most of the guys are pretty inconsistent offensively yeah it's weird for brady and i to hear about a team that decided to get bigger uh, when they looked at the bucks well the heat are, are going to start playing six foot two guys at power forward uh but i, I want to ask you more specifically about mitchell because um like you said, it was a surprise. Like everybody was anticipating New York. Uh, Miami was kind of tacitly in the mix, but uh, basically it, it was, you know, we were thinking, okay, he, he you know, he might end up in, uh, in New York uh, with, with one of those teams or more, more likely maybe the Knicks. Uh, and he ends up in Cleveland and, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a different market than Utah, but there's some similarities in the sense, like you said, it's not a big free, never been a big free agent market. There is some history of success though, if you get the right pieces, uh, how has his fit been with the community? How is his, how have they taken to him? Because it feels like the last 20 years of the franchise have been tied to one guy, whether he's there or he's not there. Uh, but they actually have a legit star now uh, in, in his absence, um, who seems like he's more okay with kind of leading the franchise than maybe Kyrie was uh, prior to, to when uh, LeBron came. Yeah, he definitely, I, I will say this as a, as a, you know, and I, I didn't know him, know of him. I knew of him, but I never interacted with him uh, until he came to Cleveland. And really just watching him, not just in media sessions or talking to him, but watching him and how he deals with his teammates, um, always very uplifting, always very positive, uh, just really, you know, one of those so-called great guys. You know, I mean, he really is. And his teammates love him. Uh, the coaching staff loves him uh, just in terms of his personality. You know, and that's that's a big thing. Obviously, anywhere you go, it's so much about the locker room. And he really has uh, brought a lot of positive vibes to that. It was already, you know, the, the quote unquote culture was already pretty good last season. He's really helped take that up another level. Uh, we see some some games you'll see Darius Garland or Evan Mobley struggling and, and Mitchell will go over to them almost in a big brother type of way and, you know, kind of coach them up in a very positive way. So that's, you know, aside from his talent and ability, which to me, he looks better than I've ever seen him, uh, as individually. But on top of that, he's really been a boost uh to their to their confidence and almost like a coach on the floor kind of like you know <clears throat> not saying that jb bickerstaff's the bad cop but mitchell is definitely the good cop when it comes to his teammates and making them feel better and them admiring him and respecting him and responding so in that sense uh it, it's been and, uh, you know the community loves him um uh, just because he is 
he's always positive even after losses he smiles a lot you know that fans recognize that so I think that like you said Ethan he seems like a guy who would want to be here for for quite some time and that's the big thing again with, with a market that's uh you know that's been looking for those kind of players and, and you want to make sure that they're they're going to be there um Sam we appreciate the time again follow him at hoopswire.com the Cavs certainly in a mix uh, for a high playoff seed this this year and, and with a different kind of group than they had before. Thanks to Brady. Um, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to do some Denver Nuggets a little bit next week as we go. Make sure you subscribe on all the podcast platforms. Sam, thanks a lot, Sam. All right. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.